We open up this 20 on an amazing night skyline of Coruscant, where we see a quick conversation between Darth Maul and Darth Sidious, where they're mapping out a plan. They've decided, they've figured out that the Jedi is on Tatooine, and Maul's going to go down there to ideally finish the job. Basically, the rest of the 20 takes place on Tatooine, and we get a, a brief little sequence of Maul actually landing and then kind of drifting into obscurity. The rest of it kind of takes place around the build-up to uh, the pod race. So uh, I guess we're next seen in the Skywalker kitchen where Anakin's like, you know, I built a pod racer, and uh, if you want, we could work up a deal where I could race and win, and you guys could be able to afford the parts for your ship. Qui-Gon is actually intrigued by this because he's so impressed by the notion that Anakin can fly a pod that he may, in fact, be a Jedi. And after a conversation that he had with him, Anakin definitely has some interest and some knowledge in this area. And so Qui-Gon's really starting to get a feel for this kid, that this kid has something special about him. Padme is not so on board. There's like a little evening rendezvous between Anakin and Qui-Gon. They have a little bonding moment on the balcony as the sun is setting. Uh, Qui-Gon checks Anakin's blood, or is that after they actually do the little garage test? The the garage test comes first, yeah. Okay, there's a little garage test the next day. They're actually uh, working on the pod racer to get it up to snuff for the big race. Mm -hmm. uh, they get the engine going. It's working, it's working. Jar Jar zaps his nose, and then, yeah, there's a little, a little uh, bonding moment on the balcony that evening. Yeah, so Qui-Gon tells Anakin he's checking his blood for infections, but he sends the blood sample off to Obi-Wan to get Obi-Wan to check it for a midi-chlorine count to be able to determine how likely this, uh, or how strong the force is within this within this boy. At this point, Shmi Skywalker uh, secretly reveals to Qui-Gon that Anakin had no father. He was immaculately conceived, which is insane. Uh, there's a little sequence between... Uh, Qui-Gon and Watto, where they kind of strike up a deal uh, regarding the parts of the ship. And then there's a separate uh, gambling arrangement where they negotiate the free the freedom of Anakin uh, pending his victory. So Shmi points out the weakness of gambling amongst all of the, the lowlifes in Mos Espa, and Qui-Gon uses this to his, to his advantage. Uh, Anakin's initial plan was to leverage... Uh, him in a pod race to be able to get the parts for the ship, but Qui-Gon doubles down on that because Watto is so convinced that Sabalba is going to win that Qui-Gon sees this as an opportunity to free both Anakin and his mother. Qui-Gon, who has already learned he can't really use his Jedi mind tricks to fool Watto, does kind of find a little loophole in that he uses uh, force motion to trick the dice into doing what he wants. Uh, and I guess then we're ready to go with the pod race. Yeah, Watto was not okay with uh, getting with uh, selling or putting up for uh, for trade both of his slaves. So he just agrees to do one, and then, like you said, with the dice, that results in Anakin being on the line, and then we start the pod race. There's a, a, a Jabba the Hutt uh, shot, which is actually kind of cool. And I guess the last thing that happens uh, before we cut the end of the 20 and we take it right up to the end of the first official hour of The Phantom Menace uh, is uh, the countdown to go. Mm -hmm. All the pod racers zoom off, except Anakin's having some engine failure, and that's the end of our 20. Yep. Can we talk about the ethics of what Qui-Gon does with Watto? Because Qui-Gon is like this monk, right? And yes, on the one hand, he's kind of a renegade and he doesn't mm. follow all the rules, but there's this code of honor in the Jedi and it's one thing to use a Jedi mind trick to kind of uh, get what you want a little bit but he is flat out cheating yeah no that's that's I know what you mean but he's not and I loved his reaction uh, because in my opinion it's just him leveling the playing field 
That is 100% a trick dice. We let the fate decide, huh? I just happen to have a chance, QB here. Blue, it's the boy. Red, his mother. Of course, absolutely. He goes immediately to it, and he's so angry. Why would you be that angry if there's a 50% chance? He clearly wanted it to be Shmi, and it was clearly pegged that way. He chose the colors as to what they would be. <laughs> that's true. It was all him, and that's why Qui-Gon was just laughing, because he knew what he was walking into. He knew Watto was going to set it up, and then right. this was just his perfect opportunity, like you said, to kind of find a loophole in force persuasion. Right. Rule in life, when somebody who looks like Paul Giamatti wants to do a deal with you, don't trust that bugger. Probably a good call. I just happen to have a dice right here in the tiniest pouch that's basically the size of a die. Yeah. It's very funny. Watto is good in this sequence, though. Watto is. Qui-Gon, though, is, just owns this 20. He yeah. really does. That's just true. with just his creative comments, his kind of silly sense, his, his silly demeanor with Anakin, but at the same time, and a little bit with Padme as well. Uh, kind of condescending to her, just in terms of the queen trusts my judgment. He's you very should too. dismissive of Padme, yeah. Uh, and she acts very childish as well. She's a little pouty at points. I know. Uh, she's I, like she showed her age, which I think is actually okay. Well, it's okay. I was gonna say she's still like blowing her cover. That's really just good foreshadowing. Mm. But it makes sense that Qui Gon is annoyed by Padme's presence. He didn't yeah. want her there to begin with, and she's just kind of another liability. And she's just she's being really pushy with her opinions as someone who really has no place to be that pushy. Well, Until, that of course, you know who she is. Really, but. what is Qui Gon doing that's disrupting her little project? I mean, besides putting her ship on the line, but he knows that he's not going to lose her ship. She doesn't know that, though. She's annoyed by the fact that he's gambling so much and that he's bringing so much. He's like, he's really, he's putting this family, uh, like Shmi and Anakin, he's putting them in a pretty difficult situation. And if you don't have kind of the ability to have that, uh, I guess, foresight and the ability to kind of see what's about to happen the way that Qui-Gon's able to see that Anakin is, he knows Anakin's going to win. It, it's not right. a risk for him. And How does he know? He can just see it? Because when you, when you, when you're that strong with the force, and someone like Anakin is around, it's just too obvious. Yeah, it's it, it's the chosen one prophecy. It just it all kind of fits within it. It's it seemed too good. He got to the point where Qui Gon was very convinced that he was brought there for a reason. Well, there's something that Anakin just kind of skips over when he first brings up pod racing at dinner. He says, "I'm the only human who can do it." Mm. Has anybody ever seen a pod race? I'm the only human who can do it. You must have Jedi reflexes if you race bombs. And that is very debilitating to the greater story that is pod racing in the Star Wars universe. Is that true? Are there no other people who do pod racing? One. Luke. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's that's later on. Yeah. So Luke becomes a pod racer as, at a young age as well. Uh, Vader actually crashes his pod. Yeah. No, I find that story really interesting. That's a really cool story. And Qui-Gon says you must have Jedi reflexes. I mean, as if driving a pod is a really reflexive sport. I mean, I guess it kind of is. But yeah. like you're on this huge, wide-open arena. I can, it's not I can, a wide-open arena. They go through little caves. They do. And like, but it's not about reflexes. Yeah, a lot of it can be, though. I think that's to do with the fact that he's an incredible pilot because of his reflexes and his ability to kind of see things before they happen. But at the same time, that's more important with pod racing because right. you have people who are actively bashing up against you and the terrain is built. Like 
the way, and I know this is a weird, weird non-canon reference, but for example, uh, the track that they do on um, uh, Tatooine, compare that to all the other tracks that we had on the Nintendo 64 game. Dope reference. I know, but yeah. all of those were way harder and way more narrow. True. And like, it was some fucked up circumstances. Like, So pod racing, it's like... It is the extremist of sports. It's also not really piloting. I mean, it's I don't no. really see how it's anything like flying anything else because it's these three highly individualized units mm. that are just kind of strung together by some cables. Well, it depends on who the pod. Like some of the pods were a little bit more, a little more stable. Yeah, a little by bit the way, designs. Definitely one of the nominees for what won the twenty is pod design. Oh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And even alien design at certain points. There were certain, some aliens in this 20 that were laughable, and there were some that were incredible, though. Let's talk about a couple of nominees for for stuff that won the 20. Sure. Uh, Some of mine are kind of uh, cheeky, I'll admit. I thought John Williams crushed it in this 20. Yeah, I noticed that, too, and I don't usually. Some amazing scoring. Uh, Roaming surveillance pods. Yeah, those are awesome. They're really cool. They're kind of not that discreet, though. No, not at all. They could be more discreet. Another thing that's not discreet are uh, Darth Maul's binoculars. <laughs> or his ship. They're the size of an Xbox. They're the, <laughs> they're the biggest binoculars. <laughs> well, I think that's always something that was kind of funny with Star Wars was you have something that's a prequel and the massive technology jump in like digital technology between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, but it was prior to... So yeah. you can't have better technology, but the technology was so much better. So you had all this clunky equipment that they used in the original trilogy that they kind of needed to use again. That's true. They couldn't really get bogged down too much in, oh, but there are certain things that just look like better technology. Oh, there are, absolutely. And then now it's gone back to the element of the Empire was so repressive that it's just a, these are the sort of things that kind of got into a position where all right. those technologies were put into military and military only. What do you have for what won the 20? Uh, for what won the 20, uh, I have it as, uh, here. this is a weird one, but I actually had it as Anakin. No uh, way. Yeah. Ross, I was actually going to say, this is the 20 for which he gets all his shit. It wasn't my fault, really. So Boba Flash Myth is Vince. I actually saved the pod. Mostly. Not him, though. Not not Jake Lloyd's portrayal of Anakin. But in my opinion, what won the 20 is all the lore about Anakin that is revealed in this 20. That's fair. Okay. About how like how str- how powerful he is, how quickly Qui-Gon's able to tap into Anakin's understanding of the Force. It shows all of these, like, him talking about his pilot skills, his mechanical skills, Shmi saying how it's true, the virgin birth. It gives you so much on Anakin in this 20 yeah, Jake Lloyd is garbage in this so 20, but he's bad. also a little kid, and so I try to not think about that at all during the movie. When you think about the character of Anakin, I think this is a really important 20 for him. I think that Qui-Gon's receiving of the character of Anakin is really important. I really like Shmi in this 20. I think yeah, she's great. Her telling of the Immaculate Conception is really good. Her talking about gambling. Just in general, her her reverence of Anakin mm. and his specialness is really well done, but... I think it's actually a huge take back that they don't do more to illustrate to us that Anakin is special. Like all they've really mm. done is been like, oh, he's he's uh, kind of got a sly sense of humor and he's good at flying pod racers. Mm. Like Qui Gon keeps talking about how he's like got these really great reflexes. Qui Gon really hasn't seen a whole lot. Yeah. So if not for his uh, his forceful instinct, there's well, not aesthetically anything really standing out about Anakin. Fair, and I think that's partly the way it's supposed to be and just the way with the force i mean you're not supposed to be 
someone who's out there. Well, although at this point in Anakin's life, Anakin should know a little. He's a little bit more special than he is. He should be able to do some things just based on his natural force abilities. He should have some parts of him that are just naturally excellent. Yeah, I just think it's another thing that could be resolved by him being a little bit older. But we can't say that. 100%. Totally agree. And he definitely should have been. But I also, like, you know how Qui-Gon catches Jar Jar's tongue? Yeah. Like, that could have been Anakin. Yes. And it should have been. Yeah, because then that would have been, like, super cool. Yeah. To have this, like, little kid show those kind of reflexes and then have that be the thing that starts the conversation about pots. Jar Jar was useless in this 20. He was nowhere to be seen. He had those stupid little tongue-numbing moment. Yeah, that was it, but thankfully. He, there was really nothing to him. Anakin's little friends were the annoying part of this one. Oh, Kidster. Yeah. The only, oh, Annie! <laughs> the only East Indian in the galaxy oh, far, him far as away. Well, yeah. Before we get off, because we talked a little bit about the terrain of the, the pod racing track, mm. uh, is it not kind of silly that the stadium only looks out on like 5% of the course? I mean, I guess they, they probably have, like, monitors or whatever. They do. So, so kind of like a like a horse racing track. It's a, it's a casino as much as it is anything else. But, like, there's so much care taken into Illustrate that there's this, like, really great spectators mm. bleacher. And pod racers are fast, and they are gone in no time at all. That's a really good point. You see nothing. No. You, would, you have your screen and, like... I don't even know if we, we don't, I don't, it'll be in the next 20, but I don't remember if we see any shots of what it looks like on the screen either, because where are the cameras? Right. Like, it's not like they have like Tuscan Raiders up in the mountains who are like doing the <laughs> film crew work for them. I mean, they might have like those roaming pod things. Oh yeah, that's a good point. That makes sense. Actually, that kind of makes a lot of sense if they can fly around and like keep track of. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. Of pods, because they're moving so fast that like a stationary camera is not going to be able to see anything. No. What do you know about the the announcers? I don't know a whole lot about They're them. They're super cheesy. They are, but they get great in the next 20. They don't really show their stuff this one yet. They're a two-headed uh, announcer creature, mm. one of which has the voice that, uh, has a voice that sounds exactly like Hank Azaria doing his Brockmire sports announcer character. And a big turnout here from all corners of the Outer Rim Territories. I see the contestants are making their way out onto the starting grid. Like it's very clearly the same caricature that's being portrayed. Okay. By, a, by another voice actor, I assume. But like the the voice sounds so much like Hank Azaria. I didn't put that together, but putting think, hearing it in my head, I can definitely, uh, I can definitely hear it. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit also of of the Quidditch scene in the first yes, Harry Potter movie. Absolutely. Like, there, there's this person who's not a character in the film, just gets to provide all of this exposition to help you understand why what you're watching is tense and not just uh, visually stimulating. Actually, uh, I want to kind of bring up on that point, and I know it's a little bit off topic, but you mentioned exposition and you had chatted, we had chatted briefly before this, just so you thought there was a lot of exposition in this 20, and I, yeah. didn't, I didn't really notice that. No, and it's okay not to notice it. That just means it was half decent writing. I just, yeah. I think that like when they explain to you that Anakin had no father, she carried him, she raised mm. him, and uh, uh, I guess they didn't really explain what midi chlorians were. Is that coming? Um, they that the full definition I'm pretty sure is there. I think they do maybe a little bit more when Anakin comes to the Jedi Temple for the first time. Midi chlorians don't bother me. I know that's kind of a controversial take. Uh, well, I mean we're at the point now where just. It is what it is. Yeah, also, but, but for me, I've also, I don't really remember much before A Phantom Menace. Right. The Phantom Menace, I mean, 
I can maybe remember a little bit of a time. So it's kind of always been there. And Anakin, like when I was a little kid, Anakin was one of my favorite characters. I just think that the so, outrage, like, even young Anakin was. So the outrage over midi chlorians is kind of blown out of proportion yeah. because it they never at any point like say this by the way replaces what you think the Force is. No, exactly. It's just kind of a supplementary thing. But there's so much hate about it. They'll never use the expression again in Star Wars. No, they can't. I need a midi chlorian count. The reading is off the chart. Over 20,000. Even Master Yoda doesn't have a midichlorian count that high. No Jedi has. What does that mean? I'm not sure. Should we talk about some quotes? Uh, sure, I don't have many here. Um, Some of them are kind of reaching. I, but I have one that I love. Okay, go, you start then. Well, this one, the only reason why I love it is because of how it could not have be fur- could not be further from the truth. And it is said from the word, from the mouth of the greatest Jedi killer of all time. No one can kill a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> No, I know. But I actually think that that was deliberate. I think of that course was, it was interesting foreshadowing. Oh, absolutely. But I, I, I just, I love that in the sense of like Qui-Gon's little chuckle reaction. And my thought on that was, if only. Uh, but it also, and we'll get to, uh, you, yeah, you go online. Give me a couple of lines. Uh, I mean, a, a really, one of the very few things Darth Maul ever says in one of these movies and it's a good line. At last, we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last, we will have revenge. Mm. There's actually a lot of questions in this in this statement. What exactly is he seeking revenge? Uh, what is he trying to avenge? Uh, the Sith and the Sith as a whole. Okay. So Darth Maul was abducted at a very, very, very young age by Sidious. He was locked away into training, just basically bred to just be like hate everything. Yeah. He. All he knows is Sith lore and hatred. Right. And that's he's like a Frankenstein. He's exactly like a Frankenstein. Yeah. He is that's a that's a phenomenal comparison yeah. because he's the Frankenstein monster. He right. was completely created uh, by actual Frankenstein mm-hmm. Palpatine. Excellent. That's I've never even thought of it that way and it really should be a more obvious or more frequently referenced comparison. Well, thank you. Uh, but uh, specifically, he was raised by Sidious to just despise and hate the Jedi. Yeah. So it's not the revenge. It's not Maul's revenge. He's getting revenge on behalf of Sidious and the Sith history. Okay. It's not a. It's it. He's basically he's a weapon. Right. He is just a shell. He is being used purely by Sidious. And it was actually I was listening to the Force Center podcast. Uh, it's an excellent podcast as well, um, and they did a specific one focused on Maul in Maul's journey recently, uh, and it's cool because of all the solo elements and the Phantom Menace, and it really kind of ties it all. But they chatted a lot about his full arc, and he really is a very tragic character. Maul. Uh, Darth Maul. Well, yeah. Maul. Maul is. I shouldn't say Darth Maul. Darth Maul is not a tragic character, but Maul is a tragic character as Does an overall. Does he ditch the Darth in the Clone Wars? And- uh, yes. So he refers to it as formerly Darth, now just Maul. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's pretty because cool. Because he, he switches to a complete hatred for Obi-Wan and Palpatine. Right. So Sidious and Obi-Wan become his hating points. He ha- He's just filled with hatred, but it's no longer directed at like the Jedi as a whole. It's the man who built him and then discarded him. Just has seething hate. And exactly. And he, also Palpatine killed his brother as well and has... Like I mean, he felt Maul was getting too powerful after Maul kind of rose from the 
the depths of garbage in the Clone Wars. What as that well. says to me is he's not totally brainwashed in that he his his heart was though misguided and and completely uh, talks talk intoxicated mm. by by Palpatine for his entire life. His heart was not. Uh, destroyed because he was still driven yes. by passion yes absolutely because uh, and this was another point that they mentioned even as well and it's it's a good one is the fact that he does love like darth maul lo- you can't have hate without love you can't hate something you, you can be just a machine that that carries out orders but if you hate things you love things the two go hand in hand yeah but then you look at palpatine and his love is power power yeah. that's really the only thing though right whereas maul he loves his mother and his brother Okay. He very much that loves his mother story. and his brother. Yeah. Uh, no one else, but he does love those. And just when you look at his full arc of him tr- constantly getting close to power, but never fully getting to the point where he could have lasting power, mm-hmm. and he doesn't really have a purpose because he's trained to take down the Jedi, and his first fight against Jedi, he gets cut in half. Uh, and at the very end of his life, when he dies at the hand of Obi-Wan, uh, he very quickly speaks to Obi-Wan about Luke because he's realized that, that Obi-Wan is there protecting someone. And when he realizes that it's the Chosen One, he's able to die in peace. Oh. Because to him, he gets his revenge. The Chosen One will take down Sidious. He knows of that prophecy because he was Sidious's apprentice. So in a weird backwards way, he's kind of rooting for the Jedi. He's exactly rooting for the Jedi. So he know, he doesn't he doesn't want Obi Wan, but Obi Wan just took him down. Obi Wan finished the job. He's gonna end on respect with Obi Wan, and he's basically just checking in with him. He's like, "Hey, is this guy also the chosen one?" Yeah. Okay. Okay. Whew. So he's gonna. So at least I, I may I may lose to you, but at least Palpatine's gonna lose in the long run. So there's actually a lot of poetry in that character, especially if you consider that one of his introductory pieces of dialogue was, at last we'll reveal ourselves to the Jedi, at last we'll have revenge. Mm. That's that's beautiful. Yeah, and that's how he, that's his entire story ending on kind of that, that point where his revenge he gets eventually. My two nominees for possible episode titles because of their significance in mm-hmm. uh, these quotes, uh, quote significance, it's working, it's working. That's mine, yeah, Which I think. is brutal, man. It's so brutal. It's working! <laughs> yeah, we know it's working. You're screaming. What a dumbass. <laughs> I also kind of like, no pod is worth two slaves. Not by a long slot. Long yeah, shot. that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I, actually think, I actually think that uh, if this weren't a, a politically correct podcast, no pod is worth two slaves would be a good tagline for our podcast. <laughs> Oh, that's great! Yeah. Uh, well, we I think we should at least call the episode that purely because of the pod element. No pod is worth two slaves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's I why think, we ditch me. I think. <laughs> I think there's actually a couple of good podcasts out there that have good pod racing reference names. Well, I think we were gonna do that, but it's been done. I think yeah, that's the reason why because we had we had a long battle to try and land on Recorder sixty six. I've never been completely satisfied with Recorder sixty six as a name. Oh, I have been. It's I lo- fine. I love. The entire Order 66 sequence, so it did the trick for me. Uh, this was just kind of a, a cheeky C-3PO offhand comment. He said, I can assure you, they'll never get me onto one of those dreadful starships. Ha. I didn't even really need to say it, but it's just kind of this funny thing where you know what's he coming. He spends so much time. This is another great line, and I love the subtlety and the foreshadowing of it. Uh, when Obi-Wan is uh, chatting with Qui-Gon, and he says, we could be stuck here for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Sorry, oh, yeah, Obi-Wan. you think there's nuance to that? That's... Oh, absolutely, because he says it with such dread yeah. that he like it would be the worst thing ever. And yeah, Obi Wan, you're gonna be stuck there for twenty years because of this kid. And also, just like symbolically, we're going to be we're going to be trapped in mm-hmm. this desolation for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, that's a really because good of that pit stop. Yeah, very nice. That's right. Uh, we should do some trivia. Give me your your Padawan question. Um, I have very messy notes, so you give me yours, and I'll try and find mine. In what Tatooine borough is the pod race held? Uh, Boonti Eve. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know it was a burrow. Well, I mean, that's just kind of the, the expression I used. I thought it was the track name. I thought Boondi was the track name. Hey, I mean, it might be. Okay. Uh, how many, uh, what's Anakin's midi-chlorian count? Uh, over 20,000. Correct. Yeah. If you actually look very closely, though, Ewan McGregor very clearly says over 10,000. Oh, really? They he mouths. After? Yeah, they change it. I wonder it. why I they would no change it. I have no idea. Because we have no frame of reference for what is a lot of yeah, midi-chlorian. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, no, that's very strange. Over 20,000. Do we have any other midi-chlorian counts on any other Jedis in hindsight? Have they gone ahead with like the visual dictionaries and been like, this is how many oh, this person has? I, I have no idea, but we all know it's more than Master Yoda. So. Oh, yeah. So the most ever then? Yes. Right. Yes, it is absolutely the most ever. Well, one thing I wanted to bring up uh, kind of on the notion of Qui-Gon and Anakin's relationship, and I very much believe this, and I know there's been phenomenal videos done online on like alternative scenario star wars and such but had Obi- had qui-gon not died and qui-gon been the one to train anakin right i very much believe anakin would not have turned i'm confident in that because he wouldn't have been raised under such dogmatic principles he would have been given more breathing room yes and that's part of it but i think even more than that it's because of the fatherly element oh okay is that qui-gon was absolutely the fatherly role he very quickly became that for Anakin. Yeah. Uh, they had a, such a close bond and relationship. He was drawn to Shmi on top of it, yeah. which is something that Liam Neeson fought with George Lucas about. Liam Neeson uh, wanted there to be a kind of moment. He wanted there to be some subtle moments between the two. Why would you be against that? Uh, George Lucas initially was, but then Liam Neeson kind of got it on the notion of it's like it's not attachment. You can show an yeah. affection. I'm not saying they have to like make out yeah but like it's an affection and like a kindness and a warmth that Qui-Gon has towards her and he is drawn to to her and actually she um she auditioned with Liam Neeson oh wow I forget the actress's name but she was very nervous and she was um very uh what's the word I'm looking for here um she lacked confidence in her accent oh okay she's Polish or Norwegian or she's something Swedish. she's Swedish she's Stockholm yeah um so I thought that was really interesting that he made her feel so comfortable and That's at nice. ease in her audition that yeah. she got the job. So they clearly had great chemistry. And I just, I, it felt like such a fatherly presence for Anakin that he'd be able to have more discipline. What do you mean by that? I'll tell you later. And at the same time, more flexibility. The thing that Obi-Wan couldn't really balance. Yeah, he, he loved Obi-Wan, but he didn't necessarily respect him he as was, a superior. He was his brother, not his yeah. father. And that was the kind of thing where Palpatine assumed that role. He assumed the fatherly role for Anakin, mm-hmm. and that allowed him to plant so many seeds in his head. Was it always, like, since the 70s, was it always in George's backstory for Anakin that he didn't have a father? Because I, I, I partly wonder if it wouldn't have been richer if he was, like, if he had a father, like, at least where we are right now in 2018, uh, a father not unlike who we believe Ray's parents to be, who are just kind of, like dipshits who disappeared. Like, I might be interested to hear about that dipshit who disappeared if there was a story to tell, but there, there's no person out there. I actually like it for that reason. 
Yeah? I like it because there's no loose end. I know, but like here we find ourselves like... But it doesn't matter. ...running out of Skywalkers, you know? Well, that's something I thought about today, and I'm a little curious to know why it's become so clearly Skywalker folks. And I know that's because Lucasfilm has positioned their words that way, and they've kept referring to it as the Skywalker saga. But when you think about it, you don't need to progress the saga the same way. It doesn't need to be linked to Skywalkers as long as you're progressing time. Because the prequels, yeah, they went back, but that was only the second thing we ever had in Star Wars. Right. Everything else from there is a prequel. Mm Mm-hmm. The only thing we haven't had that isn't a prequel is the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. Yeah. So in theory, anything that continues on past the point of the sequel trilogy can fill an episodic sort of flow to it. The other thing they can do to to keep some kind of symbolic Skywalker presence within the saga moving forward beyond episode nine is like name the resistance the Skywalker resistance and uh, just keep calling it that or like name, like name the Jedi Academy, the Skywalker Jedi Academy, like find ways to implement. That's that. a little too earthy in my opinion. You think I just think of like, I went to St. Mary's and so like the Patrick power Memorial <laughs> library, like the Luke Skywalker Memorial Jedi temple. Well, yeah, but like, and it's I like th- him as a force ghost as like the statue out front. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think you could name like a league of like a squadron, like just call it Skywalker. I I don't disagree with that. Uh, some people have made some cool notions on the fact that uh, there was potential that the Jedi would go away and that it would be replaced by, like, that's how the Skywalker name would live on. I don't like any of that, and I'm okay with the Skywalker name dying, to be right. honest. Yeah. Uh, I would don't want the bloodline to die, necessarily, but in my opinion, carrying it on through Ben Solo is more than fine. Uh, in the pod race, name me... Besides Anakin and Sebulba, name me two other pod racing contestants. Oh, I can do that. Um, Doug Bolt. Okay. And Gascano. Oh, see, I was thinking... Uh, Gascano, I forgot about Gascano. I was thinking Ben Quadranero. Ben Quadraneros is a great one. Um, and uh, Odie Mandel. Odie Mandel is a great one, too. That's my favorite name. Odie Mandel is a great I one. love the name Odie Mandel. There's another one, too, uh, that I know. Um Gascano is a word I haven't heard in a long time. I thought actually, they... I will say that that one they don't say Gascano's name in the movie. Right, they don't they, say Darth they, Maul either. They show him though, and yeah, one of the one of the pod racers I didn't recognize. I saw him in this twenty. I was like, I don't recognize you, and he kind of looked like a reindeer. Like a reindeer. He was very distinctly CGI. He was poorly CGI'd. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah he just kind of stood out to me. Who knows? Maybe it was someone that was added in after. Any more trivia for me? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, let me see. So this isn't a great question, but I had to fill my three. <laughs> so what happens to slaves who remove their tracking chips? Oh, I wasn't even really aware of tracking chips. This wasn't in the 20. Yes, it was. Was the chip referenced when Qui-Gon was checking his blood? Nope. Anakin's blood? Before then. I'm shocked that I... Uh... The guy on this one. I went with more of a content-based one as opposed to a fact. What happens to slaves who remove their tracking chips? I don't know. They blow you up. I've been working on a scanner to try and locate mine. Any attempt to escape. And they blow you up. Boom! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they blow you up. How rude. That is funny. Or if they leave or... 
I, you know, I, 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 think I actually I, really like that delivery. That I think line. I get so hung up on they blow you up that I don't even listen to what he's responding to because it's so dumb. You like that delivery? I do. Holy, he's a crap. kid. No, it's stupid. And I, he shouldn't be a kid, but he's a kid. Uh, master question for you: Where else does Qui Gon say they have pod racing? Oh wow, that's a great question. Um. No idea. He kind of mumbles it, but I think he says Malastar. They have pod racing on Malastar. Oh, yeah. I think that's what he says. Well, that's planets. That works. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it was that one then. <laughs> Story-wise, really, what is the, the main purpose of pod racing other than to illustrate that Anakin's a good pilot and he has quick reflexes? Couldn't we have found a better, more concise way? Like a little bit. You know what? I actually think we should have done like a little bit more of a confrontational um, uh, run-in. Like, yeah, the pod race is a massive waste of time. It's a huge waste of time. I, I enjoy it, it, but there is at least 15 minutes of wasted time on the pod race. The pod yeah. race itself is, I think, nine and a half minutes. Or... So that's half of our next 20. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at least that long or something like that. And but... It's also just like a big CGI show off. Like, it was really good for visual effects in 1998. Yeah, it still holds up, though. It looks good. A yeah. lot of the stuff in this movie still holds up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's what's really quite impressive. Jabba the Hutt doesn't. Jabba the no. Hutt, when, when CGI'd, has this like weird velvety texture to him. Have you ever noticed that? I he almost he... looks like plush. Yeah. And I find it very like, it kind of ruins the grossness of Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really, uh... yeah, he's supposed to be slimier than he is. I'm kind of all over the map right now, but I have two more questions slash observations about this 20. Sure. Uh, Padme, we talked, uh, she's very um, difficult with Qui-Gon. She doesn't really agree with many of his decisions. She's making that very well-known. Qui-Gon's kind of dismissing her. Given how observant he is and how this whole 20 kind of illustrates how Qui-Gon sees nuance in people, how is he not at all suspicious about the true identity of Padme? How is it that she fools everybody and she's just a bureaucrat? I don't know. I think Padme is a very underrated character. And is I, she force, force sensitive at all in some like small level? No. No, I don't think so. No? No. I don't think there's been any hint or assumption that you can go based off on that or anything she's that can a lead you that way. good politician. She's a good warrior. Yeah, very she's smart, a, uh, very she's savvy. A, she's also uh, got lots of love. Mm -hmm. So like a, definitely a good person, but she's not driven by any kind of greater power. Yeah, no, she's an incredible politician, though. That's like her ability to talk is her bread and butter. And they show that in the Clone Wars. Uh, I'm actually reading Thrawn Alliances at the moment, and she's a lot in that as well. Uh, and so it's actually the best bit of Padme I've ever read, actually. Or I, I'm sorry, I've ever experienced. Last question for you. Has Anakin never looked at the fucking sky before? There's so many. Do they all have a system of planets? Most of them. Has anyone been to them all? Hmm. <laughs> Not likely. I want to be the first one to see them all. There's, oh, but the there's, stars? There's so many of them. Has I, anybody I ever... I want to be the first to go to all of them. I'm going to be the first to go to all of them. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you want to do that? <laughs> Dumb shit. Stop wasting your time, Anakin. God, yeah, that's right. Do your homework. What is Odie Mandel's... Ah, fuck, that question doesn't work. I can't ask it that way. Why? I was going to say, well, what is Odie Mandel known for? Oh, I don't know. I was going to say, what is Odie Mandel's pit crew known for? 
His pit crew. Odie Mandel is known for his pit crew. <laughs> really? Why is that part of extended canon? They no, they just said it in the twenty. Oh, they did. Yeah. Odie Mandel with his record-setting pit droid team. What else you got? Anything more from this this piece? Um, not a whole lot. Uh, from this uh, from this twenty, a lot of stuff in the news. So. Well, yeah. we've been off for a few weeks, so we should probably get to that. Yeah, let's yeah. shift to that because there wasn't a whole lot that happened in the twenty. Uh, but let's uh, let's do the episode nine stuff last because there's a lot of it. Uh, so the resistance, uh, team Fireball. So they were the Spectre on the Ghost in Rebels, and it's Team Fireball in okay. the Resistance. Looking more and more like a kids show. Yep. <laughs> However, there's one very very cool still that I've seen. And they came out with the cartoon still of Leia, and Leia is going to be in it. Nice, so that's really cool. Do we have somebody good to voice Leia? Has she been around before? Yes, I forget. Uh, I forget her name, but she's done Leia on like Forces of Destiny and in Rebels. Um, but this is like a much older Leia, where Carrie what? Fisher had a weird voice. And in- yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the same uh, same voice actress though. Uh, I didn't I didn't see a clip of Leia okay. uh, yet. I haven't seen the. There's a, an updated Resistance clip. I haven't been able to watch it yet, but. Uh, maybe she speaks in that and be able to confirm that. Speaking of Leia, there was a really sweet picture on the on the Star Wars subreddit today of Billy Lord standing next to Darth Vader, and it, it was uh, I guess it was supposed to be like a tribute to Grandparents Day. Today was Grandparents Day. Cool. Yeah, and she like she looks unrecognizable with long hair. Like she has her hair tied right up in Star Wars, right? She's, yeah. I could walk past her on the street with her normal hair. I wouldn't even know it was her. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, it's good for her. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy is receiving an Oscar, the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. Is she? She's getting an honorary Oscar. She deserves Long that. Long overdue. Holy she's, hell. By the way, like, just if you're wondering like why she's so significant outside of Star Wars, do yourself a favor and just look at Kathleen Kennedy's Wikipedia page. Because that woman on. has been behind like every action, every action adventure franchise, basically in cinema, cinema history. She is unreal the big ones yeah absolutely anything that's not like and even some has she worked with james cameron before I mean, he's only made like four movies yeah that's true i don't know he's made more than that yeah i guess uh, but yeah no this is like regardless of what you feel about her star wars involvement um and uh this is absolutely well deserved yeah uh, i think it's great yeah she's great uh sadly the first woman to ever win though that's kind of weird yeah it's not surprising at all no no but it's what it is and uh, it's a long overdue correction. Of course. Uh, the Last Jedi. It's not going to hold up, but it is currently the highest selling Blu-ray in 2018. Oh, okay. So $85 million on top of what it did in the box office. Not so bad. Not so bad. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. So like The Incredibles 2 is going to beat that. Uh, yeah. I Black Panther, I think, as well. Oh, God, yeah. Has yeah. Black Panther not already come out? Uh, it has, but it's not been out as long. Oh, okay. Um, the Last Jedi... Because Black Panther was in theaters in May, right? Something like that? Black Panther was in theaters a long time. Oh, no, no. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't know. Black Panther, I think, will You could it. probably still find it in theaters. It's had less uh, selling time as a, as a Blu-ray. That's the yeah. reason why. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sam Witwer. So there was a great interview with Sam Witwer talking about his uh, voicing of Maul and Solo. Uh, and there was something that uh, he mentioned that I was... It was terrifying and amazing at the same time was they were preparing uh, the scene and they said, okay, now you're going to force pull your lightsaber and you're going to pull your lightsaber out. And so S- Sam replies to, to Ron Howard or whoever was telling him this, which saber? 
because it could be the dark saber or it could be the saber that has been taken from an inquisitor who was clearly sent to hunt him down. Nice, but he's been paying attention. Well, Sam Witwer knows his Star Wars. He played the character. No, but he knows his Star Wars literally better than 99.99999% of people in the world. Yeah. He is probably one of the top five most knowledgeable people on Star Wars in the entire world. Cool. Uh, So having him being a part of any Star Wars project is a good thing for the project. Yeah. And he should be involved in more because he has incredible talents. But anyway, so... He specifically bringing that up, had they not had him voicing that, they potentially could have put in his Phantom Menace lightsaber oh, in Solo, which would have been horrific. It would have been a huge problem. That would have been... A, somebody would have caught it. Somebody though. would have caught it, but yeah. the notion that that was even like considered... Uh, and I was so happy to see, personally, I was so happy to see the Inquisitor lightsaber uh, in Solo because it brought to life cartoon things, which is really kind of cool. Well, and also those uh, stills that went around this week. Yeah, of, these stock photos of older uh, Darth Maul. Like, older at, Maul with like the robotic legs. But and it's it Ray Park. so fucking cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I think that's perfect. It's a great blend of Ray Park and Sam Witwer. I forget the guy who did the voice of uh, Maul in uh, The Phantom Menace, but he shit on The Phantom Menace. He was a dick about it. Uh, Fuck that guy. Yeah, exactly. Sam Witwer, one of the biggest Star Wars fans in the world, and Ray Park, when they brought that up to him, apparently, uh, immediately after they asked him if he was interested, he said, do you want me to get on a plane right now? Oh, wow. So he was also completely like stoked about it, and I love that, and I think that Maul has built up such a kind of a comeback as a character and has such depth to him now, but at the same time still is a badass and had this cool point in Solo. I think it's great. Me too. I wonder, does Ray Park look as weathered as Maul does without the makeup on? Or was part of that done to make him look like he has been tortured by the dunes of time? Because um, he looks he looks pretty rough in the face. He does look pretty rough in the face, but at the same time... It's been almost 20 years. Yeah, and he's supposed to be pretty close to the same age as Obi-Wan, or pretty much the same age as Obi-Wan. So has, when you think of like old white-bearded Alec Guinness... Two years before that, he killed Darth Maul, who was supposed to be the same age as him. Okay, but has as much time passed in real life since The Phantom Menace and Solo, between those two movies, as passed between the events of Phantom Menace and Solo? Because that would be very convenient. Uh, pretty close. Yeah, so there you pretty go. close. Good. Yeah. So it would be, I think, yeah, it's within, I think, probably about three years of that. Roughly so. 20 years both ways. Yeah. Yeah, that works pretty well. Okay. And uh, they were both playing their age accurately, unlike Liam Neeson in The Phantom Menace. So there's no issues there. <laughs> You're so hung up on Liam Neeson being 60 in that movie. Yeah, it is what it is. But <laughs> um, So yeah, we tried a little bit about Solo here. Uh, so they've expanded out uh, through the book on Solo and some deleted scenes. Apparently there's some some stuff that was, that was cut that probably shouldn't have been about some good chemistry between Kira and Han. It's yep. nice to hear that they've developed that further, but... I haven't, uh, that they've not released yet, so I haven't really dove into that. Whatever. Uh, but yeah, so I guess kind of a personal thing. I finished Thrawn. Yeah. Holy fuck, that was good. That's right. We've been off for a long time, so you and I haven't talked about that on the podcast, but you were crazy about that book. Yeah, I powered through it. It was a 17-hour audiobook, right. and I listened to it in like four days. Right. And it was the best Star Wars book easily. It moved Thrawn into like a top 10 character for me because we've talked about him on the podcast in like a surface kind of way it was incredible it like the first one like it was stacked with exposition yeah it's stacked with 
just explaining what's going on, but it's perfect. It's very different than what your normal Star Wars is, mm -hmm. but to hear kind of like to to hear the mind of Thrawn as well is incredible. And I didn't get that through Rebels. Like Thrawn was cool in Rebels, mm -hmm. but to hear his thought process and to hear the fact that he's not even really a villain and to really understand the character. It's, he's very popular too, right? Oh, absolutely. But it's like, oh my God, the book was good. I really think they're going to they're gonna put him in a movie. And I, It's risky. It's yeah. really risky to do that. And... It's interesting, and because it's, it's Timothy Zahn, actually, he mentioned uh, in a panel that he did the other day uh, that uh, someone asked him where he felt uh, Thrawn would position himself in the First Order. Mm -hmm. And he said that Thrawn would likely leave the galaxy and go to the Outer Rim because Hux is a joke. He would never, And yeah. Kylo is unstable. Right. And so he would go and return to the Chiss Ascendancy, which is his actual army. Um, so. Okay. And. Yeah, and so cannot recommend the book enough. Uh, it's a very different. Like, it's not what I normally love about Star Wars. It was not lore focused. Mm -hmm. It was all about the Empire and war. It's good. We and, need that. Like the military ranks, and I absolutely loved it. The characters that were introduced, um, Eli Vanto. Uh, he's kind of like the sidekick throughout the book. Is uh, one of the oh, just one of the best characters. Probably the best character. I've uh, encountered who's I've only experienced in the books. Right. Uh, is in no other versions of canon that I know of. Uh, however, they have comicked the Thrawn books as well. So you can read the Thrawn novel or the read the Thrawn comic and get the same story. But anyway, can't recommend it enough. I'm reading Thrawn Alliances now, and that was the reason why I read Thrawn first. And it's really good. It's not as good as uh, Thrawn, the initial one, but uh, it's I really enjoy the Anakin parts of it. Uh, not as much Thrawn and Vader's relationship, but Thrawn and Anakin is awesome. Really, really cool to kind of see them exploring Batu, which is the planet that is Galaxy's Edge. So the theme park. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, so the one of the main planets uh, that the entire story takes place on uh, is the planet that the theme park is that's so weird that the the theme park isn't going to depict planets we know they picked one because they wanted to be able to that's cool and they are now it's a bold it. move though you have to admit it's a bold move to not be like and this is tatooine and this is cloud city yeah but you want to be able to make it something that's more like interactive yep. and immersive totally and so like there are like the cantinas and it's very much it's an outpost it's like it'll like, give you the star wars vibe yeah it's very much your uh odor rim Backworld Tatooine with less sand. Right. Yeah, that's really the vibe you get from it. Cool. So, uh, really uh, can't recommend diving into Thrawn enough. Someday we'll go to that park and we'll bring that little portable recorder and we'll, we'll do podcast clips from... Let's do it. ...from that place. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it does. Uh, episode 9. So, there's a bunch of stuff here. Okay, what you got? Uh, so, Naomi Aki's character, Caro, was likely the initial casting call name. Uh, it's now Lucy in the script. Uh, so, Naomi okay. Aki's likely going to be ca playing a character named Lucy. Uh, Oscar Isaac and Donald Gleason, they both read the entire script and know a lot more than they're comfortable knowing. <laughs> Usually, that's not allowed. Yeah, but now they're in a position where... Uh, they know way too much. And Donald oh. Gleason especially was mentioning how it's terrifying to have that kind of 
knowledge within you. It's weird to give those two guys the scripture. I can see giving it to Daisy. Well, my guess is they had the option. Yeah. And uh, depending on like certain characters as to when their parts in the movie are, um, like Hux is an interesting one. I think Hux should be the the pawn for someone else's play to take over. I'd like for him to do something truly badass in this movie. Like he should, he should really. Take I a think stand. Should, well, I think he should turn on Kylo, but yeah. I think he should continue to be a pathetic, just like slimy guy. I think he should just shift to picking another horse in the first order. I see. Okay. And like just doing everything he can to undermine Kylo without even realizing it. Um, they're also casting for a character, Karina. Uh, this character is kind of conceptualized as a younger Charlize Theron with street smarts and, a, and sharp wit, a good sense of humor, solid comedic timing, and a strong voice. Sounds good. Yeah, so I'm surprised they're casting anyone at this point, so probably not a very big role, but... No, but probably important, probably going to do something cool. Well, it's very specific, so I it would is. imagine. Yeah. It seems too specific to not be, and maybe it's something where they felt... Uh, Who's a younger Charlize Theron these days? Yeah, I don't know. I found it very interesting that they went with such a pointed uh, description. That's a very specific drop, yeah. Yeah. So oh, think about that. Yeah. That if you have any ideas for who could who could play that character, hey, tweet us. Yeah, at Recorder66. Cool. Uh, the big news. Matt Smith. Dominic Monaghan. Dominic Monaghan. People got so excited for Matt Smith, and I respect it. If you're a Doctor Who person, or you like The Crown, he's a great actor, and he has the weird face of a Star Wars person. Mm -hmm. uh, but Dominic Monaghan, I'm Charlie so Pace, man, that is going to be great. Reuniting with JJ. I am so insanely excited for this. I He could not be a better fit. He has uh, Star Wars tattoos. Uh, he is a it's massive, massive Star Wars fan. He is a phenomenal actor. He's a lovable guy. He's also I'm a, so it, excited it's for It's a pretty big break for him, too, because he peaked years ago, career-wise. Yeah, with Lord of the Rings? Absolutely. Yeah. And Lost, too. Well, like, ever since then, he's been hosting, like, weird, like, travel shows. Well, I think it's because it's what he likes. And the yeah. reason why he, like, he knows J.J. and loves this shit, so mm -hmm. it's just it's right up his alley. Uh, I want him to be a big character. I know Matt Smith has already been stated to be a big character, so we know Matt Smith is going to be he a key seems role. like he might be evil. Is that uh, I think it's just a good assumption because he looks evil. Yeah, he does. Um, he doesn't always play bad guys, though. No, no, by no means. Uh, some people are assuming that they both could be Knights of Ren. Yeah. Uh, I hate that for Dominic Monhan. I think he doesn't look the part at all. What do you all. think about Matt Smith playing young Snoke in a flashback? Yeah, someone, people have been mentioning that. I think Some it's, kind of like pre-destruction looking. I think that's interesting. I think it could definitely, uh, I think he definitely has that weird look. Yeah. And he could definitely play it. Uh, I had heard a rumor a while back that Ed Harris was uh, tapped for that if that's they were going to do Ed it. Ed Harris not playing young anybody. No, well, Snoke could be thousands and thousands of years old. True. You can make it young. <laughs> True, I guess. Um, but no matter what, I think uh, I think it's a great casting choice, and I think that they can do a lot with these. I think it, it could be interesting to see if, like, um, I still think the Ray Kenobi thing could be totally uh, could be an option. And Dominic Monaghan, maybe he's going to be Obi Wan's kid. Could that could be, be kind of cool. Maybe he's the drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe uh, Ray's mom's dead, and it's just. Uh, just the father. Dominic Monaghan's not old enough to be Daisy Ridley's father, though. Yeah, he is. Dominic Monaghan? Yes. Daisy Ridley's what? Like 25? Character 19, though, in The Force Awakens. So right. The same in The Last Jedi. So, yeah, he's and probably like 41. 
That probably makes sense. I guess he's been around a lot longer than he feels like he has. But he they, is exactly 41 years old. Well yeah, done. Thank you. Well, I guess he was like, he was probably 19, 20 when he made Lord of the Rings. Yeah. All right. You could kind of make that work. Although he looks young. He looks boyish. I think he looks it. That's the reason why I say it. It's the only reason why I say it is I think he... I think he really quite has a, like a, a look that would make... I would definitely see him being related to Ewan McGregor or Alec Guinness for Ewan that matter. Ewan McGregor, I can see. I'm talking about Daisy Ridley. Yeah, but that's not where... No, Dominic Monaghan looks like he could be in train spotting for yeah, sure. Yeah, he looks like they're, like they're damn brothers. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I don't know. I think you could make him to be a very sympathetic father for Ray if it was something where he could pull off... That we had to leave you. Yep. Whereas not many characters could. I guess. He has just that inherent likability that, in my opinion, I want him to be a good guy. I think he's a waste if he's a bad guy. This is getting to be a very big cast. I think that's great. Yep. I love that. Yeah. I want this to be more like Return of Revenge of the Sith than Return of the Jedi. Cool. Uh, obviously, with an ending that mirrors more of Return of the Jedi in terms of positive, it won't end with a negative ending. I'd be shocked. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, they could drop a little hint about like weird stuff to come, but, yeah, but ultimately only... it has to be conclusive and not tragic. Yeah, because then it's guaranteed we'll get another trilogy, and that's not the way they're framing this. Right. They're very much leaving that to be a potential where there might not be many more in this saga. So, Yeah, we'll see. Oh, I think there, there will be, of course, at some yeah, point, whether yeah. it's a decade down the road or what yeah. the deal is. But they want to make it seem like it's a closed book. Yeah. So they need it to kind of end off with some sort of closure. And so there's so many loose ends. It's really exciting to see what's going to what's gonna come of it all. Got any more? Um, I think it's because there were so many things that we had to talk about. We couldn't, like, dive super deep into anything. That's okay. Um, but I'll kind of give one little uh, lead up, and I'll recommend people uh, look into it a little bit further. Um, there's one cool thing that I chatted about last time and how I think Ray may have... Uh, an unstable double-bladed lightsaber yeah. made from the two halves of Luke's kyber crystal. Uh, someone on Reddit has a really cool theory, and it's the the King's Lair or the King's Slayer. Uh, I didn't use his capitals consistently, so I can't tell you his name. <laughs> but uh, very, very cool theory on Reddit. Uh, and it is all that Kylo... Sorry, uh, the Graflex, Luke's saber, the classic lightsaber, is uh, a metaphor for Ben Solo. Yes, his division. He's yeah, having his, been his, busted di- up. his division, his being separated, uh, being drawn between kind of both sides at that pivotal moment in yep. his turn, uh, having the obsession with feeling like he owns it, it is his, uh, being drawn to Ray uh, and not being able to kind of really stray from that, uh, being so inherently linked to its past. Um, being kind of the weapon that he used to strike yeah. down. It, there's a lot it's of very things observant, in there. Yeah. And there's actually some things, I'm not doing it justice, uh, but it's a phenomenal, phenomenal theory. I highly recommend people kind of dive into it because it really shows how, and it's not specifically Kylo Ren, but, but Ben Solo and kind of the points where, how it was hidden in a, even like a, a trunk in like the basement to the point where when Ray finds it, it's kind of like that Force Awakening moment as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of things to it. It's like kind it. of a cool little uh, lead on, and it, it fits with the notion that uh, that saber is not done and that it could come back in an even more unstable way, just like Ben Solo. Ah, very good. That's why I liked it. <laughs> okay, if you want to be caught up to us by next week, watch the first 80 minutes of Star Wars The Phantom Menace. 
Uh, we're going to try and get back on schedule now. Uh, Ross, yeah, I moved. moved. <laughs> Sorry so about that. It was a little busy, but uh, the apartment's cooler now, so we're going to be able to do uh, podcasts more comfortably. Uh, yeah, uh, catch up with us. If you have any comments on this week's episode, you can email us at recorder66podcast at gmail.com or tweet us at recorder66 and give us a rate and review on iTunes, as always. And until next time, may the Force be with you. Thank you.